0: Get Personal with Loyalty, where we're discussing using loyalty to deliver personalized, relevant customer experiences.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. I'm Erin Reese, your host, and today I'm here with Steve Stone. Steve, hi. Hello. How are you today? I'm well. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. As we were planning on this whole thing. Thinking back of how long we've known each other, we've been in this space (laughs) way too long. Longer
0: than probably either of us want to admit, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I was was likened to your, when you told me your son was now 16, because I think we first started talking, he was probably four or five, so. Yeah.
0: No, it's definitely, it's been a while. But yeah, no, I'm super happy to be joining you today. It's not every day that I get the chance to kind of geek out on this, and I love to geek out on this stuff. Um, So yeah, let's hit it.
1: Great. Well, why don't we start with you giving your background? As we just mentioned, you've been in the space a long time. You've been at a lot of really amazing retailers, uh, running CRM and loyalty for them. So tell us how you got into this and why you're staying in it. Yeah. So if
0: I take it all the way back, I got my MBA at University of Arizona, Bear Downs, all my alum friends. But really, so starting off actually in financial services, believe it or not, I'm doing retention activation campaigns for Bank of America credit cards. And dating myself, this was when our primary channels were direct mail and telemarketing. So before the rise of email, I did a lot of those campaigns, worked a lot with the in-house retention unit, things like that. That's where I got my first baby taste of loyalty. I got a chance to work with a group of people on putting together a pilot program for Bank of America that looked at, hey, could we come up with something that would reward people for all of the different potential accounts that they would have with the bank? So how do you give somebody points for having a mortgage or an auto loan beyond just a transactional with a a credit card or a debit card? I got to work on that pile a little bit. So that kind of gave me my first taste. But really realize financial services is a great background for like, how do you do things and financial discipline and all those things, but it missed a lot of the marketing elements. So back in the early two thousands, all the retailers wanted to do CRM. None of them were really doing it well because it was kind of the wild west so i left financial services and went to toys r us of all places which was yeah about as absolutely polar opposite as you could get from financial services so did a lot of their crm stuff their direct mail Uh, again this was another place where i got an early taste of loyalty so had the challenge to come up with a program uh, at toys r us at the time everybody knew about toys r us for holiday and everything else the second main reason why you would go to toys r us was around birthday the problem we had was we had an amazing database on like information about the family of the parents so you know 65 million customers whatever it was but didn't have reliable information about the kids and so we came up with this concept and created this program called Jeffrey's birthday club which essentially filled in the gap so we got we didn't use the term back then but it's absolutely what it was zero party data from the parents Oh, I've got three kids. Here are their names. Here are their ages. Here are their genders. And so it gave us the opportunity to build our marketing engine. So now I can market to somebody around a birthday or something else and be able to personalize that message because I might market to you differently if you had a 12 year old girl versus a six year old boy. And so again, great learning process. Kind of everything from that moved on. So I've done CRM for Bath and Body Works, CRM and loyalty for Build-a-Bear. But my first real like hardcore loyalty gig, was hired at Express to basically build their first multi-tender program. Uh, So they had an old private label credit program, but really it was only 20 ish percent of their customer base had the card. So that means the vast majority of their customers, other than sending them direct mails or emails, they didn't really have a loyalty offering for. So came in and really designed that program, built it out, launched it, ran it. So tons of learning, great opportunity. You know, some of the things that we were able to do with that brand was, it was a lot of fun and a lot of learning. Took that, moved on to American Eagle, same concept. They actually had two different programs. They had a credit card program, and then they had an old like discount program. So both of which they wanted to to sunset and come up with multi-tender. They had a pilot program already in market that wasn't working. They weren't happy with. So basically brought me in to straighten out all that mess. So how do you take three different loyalty providers that they were working with and streamline that process? How do you sunset kind of two programs and fold them into a new multi-tender program? How do you make sure that it's set up to where it works for both the American Eagle and the Aerie brands? So being able to do all that. But then I also had responsibility for their direct mail CRM activities as well. Got the got the ability to start to how do you integrate those things together? How do you start thinking about the, those two channels or those two programs together as opposed to running them in silos? Because personally, I think there's so much potential and so much power when you start to unlock that. And so again, that's where I was able to take that into my next opportunity. So like with Lane Bryant, so similar, they had an old program, wanted a multi-tender program, had two different brands, wanted separate programs for those two different brands. Um, So again, built all of that, launched all that, but then also like American Eagle had responsibility for all the own channel marketing as well. So think direct mail, email, SMS, um, push up notifications. And so again, had the ability to start tinkering with how do you start to link all of those things together and really unlock the power and the potential of both programs and build
1: it all up together. Wow. Wow. I knew you had a lot of experience, (laughs) but you really do. I know we had a whole plan of how we wanted to take this conversation, but in listening to you, you go through all of that. I think where I would really love to dig in is the experiences around American Eagle and Lane Bryant, where you have both sides of this customer experience from a marketing perspective, because I know as a consumer, I still see separate communication all all the time. And it's so, as we talk about personalization and we talk about bringing things together and then we, as consumers, are experiencing these disparate marketing. Obviously, everybody wants to get to one, but I suspect they're the devils in the detail and maybe it's the technology and how do you bring it all together and how do you do it? so perhaps you could talk to us a little bit about what does that entail maybe what are some of the challenges and what are some of the things that you learned that maybe our audience could learn from
0: yeah that is such a tangled but interesting topic really nothing else to do but again so some of the biggest challenges with that are really there's the data element what information do you have and there's the it element Do we have the ability to share that data between the platforms? So depending on how your stuff is set up, does that data easily move from one to the other? Are those platforms integrated? How does all that work? Is it integrated across all of your channels? And so can you do it in email, but not in SMS? Can you do it in direct mail? How does that work differently? That's a huge consideration. And then as you think about the actual execution of it, a lot of organizations are still in the mentality of counting messages and so you get into that argument of oh if we don't send them the big branded message because we're sending them this other thing or if we're changing what that message is because we're tailoring like how are they going to know that we're selling this thing you have to figure out for your own organization How do you start to weave those things together? And it's not every message. Every time you have to start to think through where are the places where it makes sense? Where do we start? What do we learn? How do we build from there? And how do you pull all of that apart? Or again, talking organizationally, that's also where you have to, like, how do you start to build your data sets and your credibility with the organization? Because there have been times in my past, we'll say, where we've run these campaigns where we've done some personalization or we've done some things where, oh, hey, they didn't get the main branded message for the day because they got this other message earlier. And because of our collision rules, they didn't get sent this other thing. And then you get that dreaded message from your leadership. I didn't get this morning's email. Is there a problem? Did the emails go out? What happened? And suddenly you're the cause of the downfall of Western civilization because they didn't get what they were expecting to get. And so it becomes, how do you build all of that? How do you start to build that trust? How do you communicate to your leaders when you're doing things, why you're doing it, what you've learned from it, what you're doing next? There's so much to dig into in that. But yeah, you really just have to, to pick your place and, and start.
1: As you were talking, I was thinking about all of, obviously all of it. and the point about the message of the day really, I think everybody can relate to that. Where does the direction come from? And is there guidance where you were sitting within the organization? Were you able to create a roadmap for what the customer experience was going to be? Or were there other forces that were making it too challenging to do it? So this brand message of the day it doesn't sound very personal. <laughs> no, <laughs> and very self-serving. It, so it how, is, how do you change that?
0: It's so organizationally dependent. I've had different levels of success in different organizations. And it, it also, like, I've had it reacted to differently based on what the business situation was at the time. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I, I hate to say it, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's a little like Sisyphus and you just have to keep pushing that boulder up the hill. You now sometimes it's going to roll back, but you start pushing it again. And the next time you get it, oh, you know, maybe it's a little further and you really have to approach it as the constant evolution because, Hey, what's working today may not work tomorrow. And so you can't sit back. So you have to keep working at it and figuring out how are the ways that we test this in controlled manners. In measurable and readable manner. So I can come back to the organization and say, Hey, here's what we did. Here's what we learned. You have to be truthful and honest. Like you can't spin that stuff as you're reporting it back. Because if you start to spin it, then they start to think, Oh, like things are great. Like we should be seeing more results. And if the results weren't there, you've kind of set yourself up. And so you basically have to say, Hey, here's what we learned. It was good or it was bad. Here's what we took from it. Here's what we're going to do next time and keep that open communication and that honest communication and just continue to, to dig at it. You also have to look at and think through, are we doing the things that are meaningful to the program? So everybody you know, starts with kind of this base of so these basic tenets of here's what our loyalty program is going to do. We're going to increase transactions, increase AOV, whatever it is, having those ideas of this is what our program is meant to do and how it's going to drive the business. Now, as you start to look at your communication efforts and your personalization efforts, are you testing and doing things that ladder back to those core tenants of your program? Because if not, then you're just distracting yourselves and your customers. And so it's those types of things that you have to keep in mind. When you build out these tests and you build out these plans on, you know, hey, we want to, we want to do personalization because it's, it's the hot topic. But now you need to get beyond that. Why are we doing it? How does this make our program better? How does this make our brand better? And start to think through those elements. And then you can start to dig into the more of the what. So what can we do? What do we want to do? How do those things intersect? Because as you start to look at it, you're like, hey, I may want to do all of these different things, but wow, I don't have the data that supports that. So I can't do all those things. Or you may like, hey, we want to do all of these different things. But oh, well, you know what? Our IT infrastructure isn't there. We can't do that level of personalization or we don't have the bandwidth in the marketing operations group to be able to create 57 versions of today's email on all these different things that we want to personalize. And so you have to start with those, again, start with your goals. How does it ladder back? And then start to get into the, okay, how can I start to pick away at some of these things? How can I start to to learn little pieces that are going to lead me to the next thing and lead me to the next thing? Like, it's almost like building a mini loyalty program. You have to have that roadmap of, Hey, here's what we want to get to, here's where we're going to start. And you know what? We're going to figure it out along and how do we build and grow? And if to take this next step, we're going to need to invest in new technology. To get to this next step, we might need to pick up a a new or different partner or whatever it is, and really start to think through it and map that out. And then it's literally just the test and learn as you grow and build.
1: One of the things you were talking about your program and your program's North Star of increasing transactions and increasing AOV, in my mind went to, okay, it's program, but it's really the overall business, Mm -hmm. right? The program is a vehicle or enabler to drive more revenue, to drive more overall transactions for the business. And so you need to be able to think of it in the macro sense as well as more of the micro sense of the program metrics as well. So if you've
0: done your homework initially, because you should have done a lot of these same steps when you built your program, you should have said and defined, here's what this program is meant to do to drive these business results. And that should be sound. Now, again, that's something that you have to continue to turn to tune and to monitor as your program grows, as your brand changes, you know, making sure that you keep those things aligned. And when you need to make changes in the program because of changes in the brand or whatever, but if you've done that work, then as you look at these personalization things, and if you go through that same exercise of, if these are the tenets of the loyalty program, which should ladder back to the tenets of the brand, then I should be fairly solid in terms of I'm doing the right things. Now, to the point you made earlier, yes, the devil is 100% in the details because what you'll start to run into in the moment is, You'll start to hear things from the organization around, oh, we can't do this loyalty thing now because we've got this other like promotion going on. And so that's where you start to get some of those friction points around the bigger business versus the loyalty business and how those things work together or don't work together or where it makes sense earlier on or with smaller programs when it's only 30, 40% of the business, whatever it is. Yes, you have to have a little bit more consideration, but when you start to get to some of these programs that are critical mass, where your loyalty members are 70, 80, 90% of your business, that's the time where organizations need to start thinking about it. And it's different for a lot of them and it's uncomfortable because again, forever, take it back to our early days in loyalty. And loyalty was always the last kid picked. Or you're off doing your own thing. Oh yeah, no, that's loyalty. We're just using that as a way to get some email addresses from customers or a way to, to be able to identify customers at POS so we can do other things. But over time, how that's grown and how that's changed. And now loyalty is starting to take a little bit more of a central position with some of these organizations, because as these programs have blown up. It's now the majority of your customers that you're talking to when you're sending out loyalty communications. So it starts to make sense of, hey, if we've already got things built into our program in terms of customer incentives, customer communications, then maybe we should be putting some emphasis and focus on those and think about the other promotional elements that we do, on how they enhance that or work with that, as opposed to these two opposing forces that are always butting heads because you're worried about the margin over the weekend. And so that's where some of that change is going to have to occur. And some of that is going to be on, you know, the loyalty program managers. And again, building your data sets, building your business cases, or making your partners in the organization and making sure that they understand you know, how this is building and growing. But then there are also those times where there are some non-negotiables in an organization and certain events or certain other things that like, yep, this thing takes precedence. I get it. So then you start to think, how can we enhance and support that with the loyalty program? And so how you play those together and always thinking, when does which one take the priority versus the other? And when does that flip?
1: And I have to imagine that comes from essentially the more support you have from the top, then the more hopefully cohesive than the communication or the support of loyalty is.
0: Yes and no. I think you have to have some degree of support around the program from the top. At the same time, making those partnerships and those relationships across the organization are so crucial and critical on how you do some of that stuff. because. One of the biggest things that you want to make sure that never happens is if you're going into an executive review and pitching a new idea, the last thing that you want to happen is to have it delayed or just killed outright in that meeting by another C-suite exec, because they didn't understand it or didn't know what it was. Like you need to be partnering with their teams and getting those head nods in advance. And so we are walking in and yes, you still have to convince people and pitch your idea, but yeah, I sure do want that finance VP nodding his head up and down as I'm speaking, or I sure do want the CMO or the creative director or the ops director shaking her head up and down. Oh yeah, no, we can absolutely do this. We've got it planned out. Like how we'll support it. Like you, you want to build that team base where Hey, I'm vetting ideas through them and they're telling me, yeah, we can do it or we can't do it, or we can do this, but here's what we're going to need. And then, so you make sure that you've got those solid plans before you start to present, because if you walk in and present something and they don't understand it and they kill it dead, or you walk in and present something that then you go back and talk to your partners and they're like, there's no way we're ever going to be able to deliver this. Like you're out of your bird. Like, why did you pitch that idea? Um, Both are bad situations. And so again. That's where you've got to do the work. You've got to, to work with your partners. You've got to come up with these plans and these ideas and these roadmaps and vet them out and then take it up. Um, but to your point, if you've got somebody at the top who just doesn't believe in it, there, there's only so much you're going to be able to do. And that's where, again, you just, you're going to have to whittle away and you're going to have to, again, build your data, build your partners and, and just keep chipping away where you can.
1: And to your point earlier, it seems like more and more organizations today are getting that support. More and more organizations understand the power that loyalty can bring if done well. I would say probably close to 10 years ago, we were hearing a lot of people say, no, I don't want loyalty because it means discounts, or I don't want it because I can't talk to my board or my CFO because it means liability. And Frankly, not hearing a lot of those conversations anymore, hearing much more around how loyalty is a way to enable all of the other things that the organization wants to get done. And we're hearing more and more stories. It used to be Alta was the one that was the out there in the outlier where 98 percent of all transactions were loyalty transactions. And those of us that know the story know that they did that as a business decision so they could become move from a discounter to a full price retailer which is very unique in its own right, but yet they're not alone now. We're hearing more and more companies talk about maybe not the 98%, but 80%, 88% or so of all transactions are loyalty transactions. So it, it does feel like we're finally getting our day in the sun. Yeah,
0: it does. And it's been a long time coming um, and I'm not going to out anybody, but I can remember the first time after years of, pitching ideas and getting the, oh, we can't do this because we've got this thing going on. I remember walking into a meeting, I won't say what company, and we're going through like the promotional calendar and then having the CEO say, well, what if we did a loyalty event on this weekend? And I generally try to keep composed in meetings, but I am fairly certain that I made a face. And just because I couldn't, I couldn't believe that, God, it's finally happening they get it. They're ready to engage. Okay, then let's rock. Yes, let's get, we will absolutely do a loyalty event that weekend. Let's go. And so yeah, it's, that is thankfully a tide that is turning. Or I would say at this point, it has turned. Not everybody's there. Not everybody's there in every situation. But oh yeah, if I look back 10 years or so, just the difference in attitudes with the organization and the more prominence of loyalty programs and loyalty professionals are taking in organizations, it's night and day.
1: Something you said to me a long time ago, and I've used it many times. You probably don't know this, but you said something to me. It was, loyalty takes a long time. It's expensive. it was really the long time that really hit me. And I've used over and over again. And it's like, but it doesn't have to take a long time because I remembered it was like, what do you mean? I guess then it was like, it takes a long time to set up. It takes a long time to establish a program. It takes a long time to get a promotion set up. And all those kinds of things, like it doesn't have to take long. <laughs> like if you have that customer data, you should be able to go out and run a promotion right away to those folks and be able to actually see the impact. And I think what it was that I never fully understood it back then was the kind of the nature of the beast. Technology just wasn't where it needed to be at that point, perhaps. And I'll let you explain because maybe I would still have it wrong. <laughs> but it always seemed like, well, no, with the rights... Technology, as soon as you've got it moving, it should be the one initiative where you've got all these levers to pull so you really can make an impact.
0: Yeah. So that was a long time ago and so much has changed. But really, I think you absolutely have part of that nailed on where back then, the, even if you had an established program, some of the hurdles and the hoops that you had to go through to launch a campaign were painful or lack of data or, oh, the data's over here, so we're going to have to download it from this database and then put it over here so we can do this thing to it. And then we're going to have to load it up into the engine that's actually going to execute it. It was painful. Um, But then I would also say, again, that was also organizationally, it was painful because like we just talked about, a lot of leaders weren't there yet. Or they didn't understand it, or the program wasn't big enough, so it didn't garner their attention or their focus. And so it was all these little things that kind of led up to that. But then there's also the concept of building brand loyalty, big L loyalty. That is what absolutely can take time and it needs attention and how you build that because, oh yeah, you can launch campaigns and hit them with quick things and Is it the right things? Are you starting off your relationship with the customer by coupon training them? And so you're not really building loyalty in the brand. Are you building loyalty in the discount or in the program? So there still are some of those elements that when you think that big L picture, it does take time, but in terms of executing and starting to build that, that has been significantly cut, which then in turn does help cut how long it takes to build up some of those other things, because there's so much more I can do and I can do it so much smarter now than I was able to do it 10 years ago and how that, how that works together and how that fits together and how that builds. But yes, it is such a better place today with better tools, better partners, better data, a more focus from the organization. And so a lot of those pain points are gone. It's
1: good to hear. And I also love that you brought up the big L. One of the things I did want to talk to you about is when we were prepping, you mentioned little L loyalty being supported by big L loyalty. What, is, what does exactly that mean? And how do they weave together both?
0: Yeah. So for me, really what that means or how that kind of works in my head is that idea of it's what we've been talking about and how do you break down the silos? And so like I can run a loyalty program and it's off doing its own thing and I can run a brand program, CRM, database, market, performance, whatever everyone call it. And I can run that and it's off doing its own thing and they're doing their own things. And you know what, if you're not mindful of both of those silos, they're going to start colliding with one another. You're going to have messages that don't go out because... Oh, this branded email just went and it trumped this loyalty email that went 20 minutes afterwards because we've got these collision rules that you can only get one email every few hours or whatever it is. Or you could be sending like, oh, this talked about one thing, this talked about something completely different and the two don't match and they don't build on each other and they're conflicting messages to the customer. And so, yeah, like individually I can ladder things up. But wow, if I get smarter about how I weave those things together, if I start to think about how does one complement the other, how does one build the other, that's where you start to unlock some of those exponential gains. That's where you get to the place where, hey, you know what? one plus one equals four. And so really, to me, like that's what that concept is of how do you smartly start to to weave those things together and build a more cohesive communication stream more build a more cohesive brand message around all of these elements and not just building this one thing or that one thing or trying to build those two things together because now you're splitting your thoughts you're splitting your resources where there's really just a lot of power to unlock when you combine them and do it smartly
1: yeah i agree is there like a particular framework or a, how do you approach this? how does somebody who maybe just be getting started in this where, where do they go? And really
0: for me there's a few different kind of starting points so like I said, as you're starting down this journey, I think one of the most important things you need to do is just like when you built your program initially, what do we want this to do be very focused and very clear about Here's the expectation and it can't be, this is the trap that again, people are getting better about this. This is the trap that you always used to run into in building a loyalty program, you would ask an executive, well, what do you want this program to do? And you get the canned answer. Oh, we want to increase sales and we want to increase our retention and this and that, and it's, yeah, I get that. But that's where you just start to get into the, but how are we going to do it? What are the levers that are going to help us do that, that we can affect? Because yeah, there are lots of different ways to build annual sales, but what are the things that we can meaningfully impact? And then how do we build that program, whether it be our loyalty program or whether we start to think of it, this personalization journey and some of these other things, literally what are the goals that we want this to do? And you really have to start with that foundation because that becomes your lens on is this tactic that we're thinking about, does it make sense or not? Does it ladder back to those core principles or not? Because if it doesn't, I don't know if we should be doing it, or I don't know if it should be the first thing on our list, because some of those things might be exploratory, but focus on what matters most first, and then you could play in the margins and start to learn. And so it's really, you have to start with that. You have to start with that foundation and be crystal clear on what you're hoping to accomplish and what you're hoping to execute. And then from there, it is test, always be learning and thinking through. So setting these things up, Hey, you know what, here's what we're going to do. And again, building that business case, here's our expected results. And looking at the variance analysis and say, Hey, you know what, if it performs 10% better or 10% worse, and then you have to look at it from a business case perspective, am I comfortable with that range? Because there could be something where, hey, in order to do this, like we need to have some investment or we need to do this or that. And if it ends up on this low end of the range, financially, it doesn't make sense. Are we comfortable with that risk or not? And so again, that's where your business case comes in. That's where your finance partner and everyone else is coming to that alignment. And then as you start executing, it's making sure that you're setting up where, again, you can always read and you can always learn. And as you think about testing and measurement and all of those things, it really comes down to how am I setting this up? What am I trying to read? So obviously, you know, the greatest way to do or one of the best ways to get the most comfortable read, Hey, can I set up a whole match, holdout control groups? So let's say I've got an audience of 200,000 people and we're going to do this campaign against them. And you know what? I'm going to slice out a chunk. 10,000, 20,000, whatever's appropriate for how you measure. And hey, they should be getting this, but we're not going to send it to them. And then I can read both of those groups and I can say, hey, you know what? For the people who got this thing, here's how they performed. For the people who didn't get it, here's how they performed. It worked. It didn't work. Here's what we learned. And that's one of the, one of the great ways to be able to do it. Doesn't work in every situation. You can't always set up those match control groups. You have to measure what you can. You look at other things like, Hey, have we run something like this before. Maybe it's not this exact thing, but it's a similar discount amount or a similar event and we'll try to measure it against that. Or some companies will look at it against the time frame. Oh, you know, this, or this promotional period last year, we did this thing with this new thing, this is, this is what it came out to. Do we like it? Do we not like it? Or, oh, if I look at it the week prior or the month prior or whatever. So every organization is going to have their way of doing it, but you have to measure. And then again, like I said earlier, you have to be honest when you report out. Here's what happened factual. Here's what we learned. Here's what we're going to do differently next time. And it could be, wow, this thing was so amazing. We're going to do it again and we're going to open the floodgates wider. Or it could be, wow, this really didn't work very well, but you know what? Here we learned from this. Or, oh, hey, the other thing that happens way more than any of us want to admit to, you know what? We didn't get a read off of this because something happened. It wasn't set up right. If the code didn't work, whatever it was, and oh, hey, you know what? We're going to we're gonna try it again. And here's what we're going to do it. And here's how we're going to do it. Um, but you have to be honest with the organization because the second that you're not, and the next thing comes out and it doesn't meet the expectation that you had set with the spin, now you're in trouble.
1: I think everybody wants to put the rose-colored glasses on when they're doing these kinds of things, but I think that transparency is so important. And the being in an environment where it's okay to fail as long as you've learned something and as long as you don't continue to do. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot I, easier said than done, but it's an imperative because you can't yeah, get no,
0: Definitely the biggest thing. And that's the again, one of the things that I think that the tide has been turning a little bit on is there are organizations that are getting more comfortable with air quotes failure, but you have to learn and you have to be honest about it. And you cannot make the same mistake twice. Full stop. And so that's where, and again, if you're honest with organizations and the results start to come, that's where you build your credibility. That's where you start to get a little more leash in terms of what you can try and what you can do. But if you're constantly coming in and spinning things and picking out like the, oh yeah, the whole campaign was terrible, but like this one little cell, like this did, you know, this did well. And you put the focus on that. Wrong answer. Now, what you want to do is you want to say, hey, here's what happened. We're disappointed of the results, but wow, we found like this cell or this thing that seemed to work. So you know what? Next time we're going to focus a little more on that, or we're going to tailor the audience a little more like that. So again, you've taken the, the missed step, but you've turned it into, but here's how we're going to be better next time. And like, that's just, it's so important in an organization to build that trust and that credibility by being honest and factual. And again, the data doesn't lie. And so the data is the data and you have to be factual and honest. And then you take the learnings from that data. Now, there are times when the data lies and we all know this because you get into weird population things and everything else. But again, that's where your insights come in. So speak factually about the data, but then expand on what we learned, how we're going to be better, how we're going to do different, how we're going to build on it.
1: It's so much really great stuff in what you just shared. Where you ended there with the data piece. I've heard so many people say test and learn. And I think that it's just become something that people do. And I don't know that they actually are doing the learning piece. Even just in the things that we do from a marketing perspective, I've seen different folks on the team test and learn or test, get results, and then just go forward based on that result. And there's a lack of asking why or what happened. There's a lot more information behind the number as well. And I'd like that the always be learning that you're talking about on the sales side of things were always like the whole ABC. You're an ABL, so keep always be learning. I think that that's really important and being curious and asking those questions as to why and what's happening. And it's not just, oh, I got this result, but what was behind it? Was it a certain code? Was it the level of participation? Was it the environment that caused some of these things? A number alone doesn't tell the story.
0: And I will admit with full honesty that this is one of my better and worst traits at the same time. And folks who have worked for me in the past will cop to this. I am notorious about asking, so what? Or why? Because, you know, people will come with results and they'll say, oh, look, like, but this is what we saw and it's great. So what did you learn from this? How is this going to change what we do? yes, that's a good number. Great. But what are we taking from that? What are we going to do different next time? Because at some point, if you just keep doing the same thing, eventually it's going to start not working as well. And so that's where that always be testing, always be learning concept comes from because it's like the difference between chess and checkers. And if you kind of keep doing the same thing, you're playing checkers, which is great. It has a time and it has a purpose, but man, I would much rather be a chess player and always thinking two and three and four moves ahead. How do you do differently? How do we get ahead? Because so much of this industry has been, oh, hey, you know what? I saw Sephora did this. One of my executives wants that. And so there's always this keeping up with the Joneses, but you know what? Sometimes I want to be a Jones. I want to be thinking ahead. I want to be that person who comes up with something new or different and puts it out there and is an early lead on that. And that's why I ask the why's and ask the so what's because it's don't be happy with just good results. Be happy with what you've learned and how it makes you better because everything is measured in What's the comp? And then you get into this rut of, oh, we've got to do this thing again because we did it LY. And it's, yeah, but you know what? Let's do it better or let's do it different. Or, or how are we going to build on it and not just, oh, it's a comp, it's a comp, it's a comp.
1: And because everything's changing, what worked two weeks ago isn't going to work in a month from now, be- inevitably, because the environment's going to change, something's going to be different. I love it. I don't think it's just a retail thing. I think it's everywhere. And I don't think enough people are asking the hows and the whys behind it. And you just really motivated me. Kind <laughs> of well I'm energized with that because I, my team would probably argue that's me too. It's like, I'm always coming in with another idea. Or, or did we think about it this way? And I think there's so much to it. And just doing what somebody else did. Okay. We want to do what Starbucks did. Why? Mm-hmm. How is that going to work for us? And I think it's, sometimes hard to ask those questions to the people that (laughs) are up high that are throwing that back at us. But I think it's a really important push. And I
0: think it's on us. So in that situation, it's on us to figure out the whys and to, again, to pick away at what are you really trying to do? And sometimes it's, oh, like I want us to be able to do X or I want our brand to be Y. and Okay. Then I can start to tailor that. And sometimes, and I'll be honest, and this is what separates. And we had to go through this pretty much of where I've been. Sometimes you just get the JFDI or it's, I want this thing. This is important to me. We're going to do this. And you're like, okay, let's do it. And again, you have to be the responsible person and try to understand, but sometimes No, there's not understanding. An executive wants something, they're going to get it. You're going to do it and you do it and and you pick those battles. And again, that's something that we built into the program at Express. When we launched Express Next in 2012, there were a couple of shiny objects that people wanted. We're like, okay, you know what? We'll put them in because if I knew a person is focused on this thing and I put that thing in there, it allows me opportunity. To do some other things and they're like, oh, the thing that they really wanted is in there. So they're happy about it. And it gives me some latitude to do some other things elsewhere that may have been a little more controversial. And so that's part of the game. And for better or worse, it's always going to be part of the game.
1: Great points and great advice. Steve, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining. How do people get a hold of you if they want to learn more from you?
0: Probably at this point, the easiest way you can find me on just LinkedIn Stephen R. Stone, Steven with a PH. Yeah, that's the easiest way. Like my contact information is there. If folks want to reach out uh, again, I love doing this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. I'm so always happy to connect with folks who want to learn more or do more or be better or be smarter.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure.
0: Oh, no, I, I loved every minute. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. Join us next time for more loyalty insights. Until then, dare to dream. Let AnnexCloud help make your dreams a reality. Visit annexcloud.com. See you soon.